and welcome to the Fincher Countdown from Some Like It Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today is the conclusion of our David Fincher retrospective series as we wrap up the series with looking back on David Fincher's filmography and uh, the series that we've had so far and looking ahead to Fincher's next film, Mank, which is coming out next week on Netflix. Uh, But first, before we do that, guys, how are you doing? Jay, how are you? We'll start with you. I'm good, Scott. It's been a while since uh, we've done this. I'm glad to be back on the mic. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Um, I am still in my Manhattan apartment, pulled up here, and yeah, I mean, you know, can't really complain. Good to know, because there's been plenty to complain about in 2020, so the fact that you can't complain is honestly kind of remarkable, but uh, Scott, how are you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still holed up in my Boston apartment. I don't typically go home for Thanksgiving, to be fair, but I did consider it for a time and then realized that uh, inevitably over the last few weeks as things have gotten worse and worse, and every single day we're setting a new record, it seems like, for new cases and airlines come out and saying it's going to be the biggest travel day of the year still. I'm like, great, I'm not going home. <laughs> um, so needless to say, I'm I'm here in Boston and not even really thinking twice about having not gone home. And I feel better for that, at least from a COVID perspective. But being holed up in my apartment, as we have been for eight and a half months now, feels uh, normal at this point. So I don't think I can complain either. Or if it I did, I don't know what I'd really be complaining about that would be different sure. in the last eight and a half months. So. Well, look, since you guys dropped your big city apartment names, I, I guess I'll have to say that I'm sitting right. here in my Kernersville apartment. Hey. Um, you know, the three, the, the tri-cities as that are known, Manhattan, Boston, and Kernersville. But um, yeah, I, I will not be going home for Thanksgiving either, mainly because I just moved here from Tennessee a week ago. Not interested really in driving back um, to Tennessee tomorrow. So yeah, I'm going to, there's a couple of restaurants open in the area. So I'm going to try to eat a nice meal, you know, nice. uh, do mainly what I normally would do on Thanksgiving. Um, if I was at home with my family, um, and also watch the Taylor Swift concert film on Disney plus probably because of course I'm very excited for that. Uh, I was, I was and- like, I was like updating letterboxes. I see if, see if you'd like watched it, <laughs> like woken up early this morning or something to have watched it. Just wait. The five-star review is coming. You know, it is like, Reputation Stadium, no, not Reputation. Um, the what's the, what was the last album called? I can't even remember. The Lover uh, World Tour. That was only like six songs or whatever. Got four and a half stars from me. So you know this is an hour and forty minute long yeah. thing where like every it's single song, album. yeah, yeah, and it's like behind the scenes footage and stuff. Which like you know when Miss Americana came out, that was what blew blew my mind this year. So. I'm excited. That'll be a good Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, so I, I think I initially might have lied to you because it, it was all recorded in September, so it's not actual recording footage. It is just yeah. kind of the concert film, but it's cool that they're going to talk about each of the songs. From them. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Folklore. I think it's become my favorite of her albums. So um, I always look forward to when she releases her live specials um, like she does for every album. And hey, this is two in one year we've gotten, so that's pretty cool. But um, yeah. enough about that and more about someone who has directed a lot of music videos, um, but never directed any, ta- any Taylor Swift videos, I don't believe. Uh, and that is David Fincher. Uh, we have concluded our David Fincher series. Obviously we finished things out last time with his final movie to date, uh, which was 2014's Gone Girl. Coming up, we will be reviewing Mank uh, next week on the podcast. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. It, uh, it has good reviews so far, but we'll talk about our expectations for that in a moment. 
first of all, I just want to start by asking about you guys' general impressions. Like we do with any movie that we review, we start off by talking about our high-level thoughts. Did you like it? Did you not like it? What are a few high-level things that you did or didn't like about the series uh, or about the movie? And I want to just apply that to the series as a whole. So, Jay, we'll go to you first. Um, as someone who probably had the least experience with Fincher, I, I think of all of us uh, coming into this series. Um, what did you think? I mean, obviously, I'm not expecting you to say you enjoyed it as much as the Nolan series, but are you glad we did the series? I'm glad we did this series, um, <clears throat> both because, you know, I enjoy our little <laughs> talks, but also um, I, I enjoyed more movies than I didn't. Um, and some of the movies I liked, I really, really liked. Um, there was... There was a lot of good. I think, honestly, like my biggest takeaway is just that there's a lot of distressing. Uh, some of which is like really, like, some of which was, you know, captivating, some of which was just like thrilling, and some of which was just disturbing. Um, you know, and enough time has gone by that I've already started thinking about like rewatching one or two of the movies that I hadn't seen before the countdown and want to watch again zodiac being uh, at the top of that list my my partner's talking about wanting to watch it and i'm like i will absolutely watch it with you um if if you want to do that in the next couple weeks um yeah i mean you know i it definitely didn't strike as much of a, a chord with me as you know the nolan series would have you know for obvious reasons um namely you know my nolan bias just like going into the that first countdown but you know that there were there were some really good movies in here you know a couple that will not that I have like a formal top 10, 15, 20, whatever list, but a couple that I could definitely see being up there. Well, that's good to hear. Scott, how about you? Your uh, overall thoughts on the series? Yeah, really good. Look, you made the joke about having not recorded a music video of Taylor Swift yet. Maybe Taylor Swift isn't ready for 99 takes or whatever it is uh, that would require David Fincher to complete his masterpiece of the yeah. music video. Maybe she's... Uh, She's about to get back in, you know, back in the songwriting booth and start writing the next album or whatnot. But uh, jokes aside, I really did enjoy the series. I had seen, I think, about half the movies probably, but most of the ones that I had seen, it'd been a while. Um, you know, in some cases, many, many, many years. So it was nice to revisit them with not only just a fresh set of eyes, but you know, a completely new perspective on life than I would have had you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 years ago, whatever it might have been when I first saw those movies. Probably not 14 years ago. That's too long. Um, but Overall, I enjoyed it. I think that, like Jay, there's definitely more movies I liked. In, I liked in here than didn't like. I think that the number of films around, like I just didn't enjoy, um, look like maybe one or two, not very many, right? And um, look, that's not that off from like what we talked about in the Nolan series. Like, following was fine. It, I, I enjoyed following. I think more than the two of you guys, but like it was fine. It was like the one fine movie. And maybe there's a few more fine movies for me. And here, I think more often than not, and just talking about like high level takeaways from the whole series, is that the level of polish and refinement going to the, you know, speaking to the joke that I was just making, like it's off the charts, really, in a lot of these films, especially, you know, after the first, what, like three films. I think the polish that you really get in some of these movies is just off the charts. Um, any, anything from like Panic Room onwards, like maybe some of those things aren't necessarily my cup of tea with like the curious case of Benjamin Button. I think that movie could have been better, but. The, you can watch that film and you can appreciate like the craftsmanship that went into it, I think, even if ultimately not everything works in the film. And I think that's true from top to bottom, and I fully expect that coming from Mank also. Like I, you know, I've been fairly vocal on the podcast saying that I'm excited for the film. Maybe the trailers haven't done very much for me, 
but it's undeniable. Like, you know what you're getting with the Fincher film, just like, you know what you're getting with a Nolan film. You're going to get some premise. That's kind of wacky plays with time. Like with Fincher, you're just going to get a very highly polished film. Maybe it'll be in a variety of genres. It'll probably have something disturbing, you know, tangential to it or some concept that's a little bit disturbing to, to work through. But again, the level of refinement and, and the attention to detail and the polish on the final product is going to be impeccable. And I think that is what, you know, I've learned to expect and to appreciate about every Fincher film, regardless of how much ultimately I end up really liking and loving or enjoying, however you want to frame that each film it, it, it's there and it, it is like the hallmark of a venture movie yeah i mean obviously i really enjoyed the series this was kind of my choice after yep. we did uh nolan uh, obviously it worked out with mank um coming yeah. out Tur- turns did. out we didn't have to come in as hot as we did on this since we had yeah. all the way until december yeah. but uh, and like i will say this series was like less surprising for me i guess than the nolan series um just because i didn't really like drastically changed my opinion like for the nolan series obviously i discovered a movie in interstellar that is like now one of my favorite movies um and then also like a movie like dunkirk and the dark Knight rises which like i really liked the movies before and now i'm like wow these are like five-star movies um after rewatching the nolan series with fincher i pretty much like um you know it, it pretty much came out about where i expected to on each movie even the ones that i had like the ones i hadn't seen were like the game and Benjamin Button, and they're like are not two of the better ones, obviously. But other than Gone Girl, which I think did slightly improve, maybe in my um, view, I think my opinions stay pretty consistent about the film. But that, there's the films, but there's no problem with that because I, you know, again, I think this it's the same as with Nolan. I think I, each of those guys have four films that are in my top 100, um, and you know, Fincher has one that's in my top 10 of all time. So um, obviously, I was always going to enjoy this series. Um, and, and yeah, like I, I, I don't have too much bad to say. I, I agree with Scott. I think that even in the films that we didn't enjoy as much, there's a lot of craft that you can admire as you would expect from someone who has, who is as meticulous uh, as Scott joked about it, but who is as meticulous as Fincher. Um, I think, you know, he's going to get the best take uh, for every single scene. Now the scenes may not add up to making a great movie, but, they're still going to be the best version of that scene probably that, um, you know, was rendered on the page, whatever. Um, and so there's, there's something to be said for that. I think that the movies, which, um, aren't as successful, I don't, I really don't think it's Fincher that Fincher is the big problem in any of those instances. Um, and yeah, I absolutely think he's one of the best directors we have. It's a shame we've had to wait six years for a, a new film. Obviously he has been working on Mindhunter, that's why, uh, you know, it has taken a little bit. But also, you know, you look back and it took him five years to make Zodiac, which, you know, is the movie that I said is in my top 10 of all time. So, um, you know, add an extra year to that and we could be getting something really special in May. But we'll uh, we'll talk about Mank in a second. Um, I want to ask, I think we talked a little bit about this on the Nolan series, um, about sort of the progression of the films and the progression of David Fincher as a director. Um, and Scott, I'll start with you this time. Um, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts, anything you noticed um, while sort of watching the film, starting with Seven, right, um, and going all the way through to Gone Girl. Um, is there anything, any trends that jumped out to you, any sort of changes in his vision, tone, anything like that? Um, you know, obviously with Nolan, we talked about how he became a more emotional filmmaker maybe as time went on. Did you see any sort of, you know, themes like that? 
um, in Fisher's filmography? Yeah, I think that's it's a fair question and one that I'll be honest, and, and maybe you'll have a better perspective on this, Scott, just because you spent more time with with these films over over a longer period. I find it harder here to identify a through line or an evolution that was as clear to me as what we talked about with Nolan's filmography and how his not only his sense of filmmaking, but his sense of storytelling developed also. I think there are little things here and there that Fincher shows a knack for that he develops over time. I think one of those, I mean, look, Seven is an outlier, like his ostensibly his first film, like Take Alien 3 off the table, which we did for the series. Like it's his first film, not part of a franchise, really allowing himself to paint the picture he wants. It's not his story, obviously, but painting the picture that he wants on the screen and translating that into what his vision is on the screen. And it's really good, right? And then I think he took a step back you know, for almost, you know, seven years, seven years between seven and panic room. I think that the game and fight club were, were big steps back. And I think showed that he was, in my opinion, that he was like a younger filmmaker trying to take big swings, but not knowing how to really get the content onto the screen in a way that at least was compelling for me. I didn't find the game compelling. My you know perspective on fight club dimmed dramatically since, you know, the first watch that I had many years ago. And I think that I don't disagree with what you're saying around. That's not, I don't necessarily attribute those faults to him as a filmmaker or even a storyteller ultimately. But it, I think what he, what he's shown over the years is that he, he's picked, you know, better stories or more interesting stories or things that he can do more with or maximize the potential of better. And he's taken those and he's really just sharpened the vision, I think. Right. If, I were, if you were to ask me what's different between like Seven and Gone Girl, what I'd say, look, obviously, I like, I mean, I should say, obviously, I like Seven more than Gone Girl. We talked at length about why I didn't like certain aspects of Gone Girl, which I don't think have anything to do with Fincher. But I think that like he's real, I think he's realized over the years that like what he is best at is just giving you like the best product of the film. And I don't mean that just in terms of like, okay, I think this is the best way to present a story or, an, or like a narrative or whatever it might be. It's like literally, how can I get you the most beautiful, best shot thing like i'm going to spend all of my energy on these like individual moments and make people do them like a hundred times to get the right take and i'm going to get that best take on the screen so again i think as crazy as it is to say i think that it's taking like all right i need to focus on refining my vision like i think starting with panic room we we talked about the stories of panic room like how grueling that was of a shoot for jodie foster and i imagine everyone else in the cast as well but particularly her and how many times that they had to do certain shots and certain physical, you know, very physical scenes for her to get it right, right? And so he's doing that from very early on. But I think what he's able to do with like the advancement of technology is like make even those moments even sharper and, and clearer and more beautiful. I think with the way that he stages scenes, the way that he uses lighting, the way that he uses cinematography. Obviously, again, I understand it's not him but physically, you know, manning the camera and whatnot. But overall, I think he's trying to take all the technical aspects and I focused a lot on sort of the actual, you know, production value, but, you know, even score, like working more, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, things like that, like really trying to refine these visions and these technical aspects of the films to reach like a, a mastery level of what you're getting. And again, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, show, Social Network, Benjamin Button, Gone Girl. I mean, those are four movies that I think it's really hard to find a production fault in, in those films, even if 
you know, we have pro like each one of us can you know, maybe note problems here and there with with you know at least three of those four. I don't want to I don't want to speak out of turn for the Social Network, which is my favorite in the series. But overall, I think those are movies that really have benefited from you know his core ability to or like need or OCD like almost drive to get everything perfectly right, and the where he's marrying that with the technology and like a holistic vision of getting all the production elements, you know, perfectly in order and displayed and mixed and edited perfectly in unison to make everything kind of hum and sing to the best it can. Uh, again, kind of fully maximizing the potential of the stories that are on the page. Yeah. Uh, good, good thoughts. I, I agree, Jay. Um, what about you? What, what do you think about uh, Fincher's progression as a director? Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't have the the perspective both on Fincher, at least you know, in my in not having seen much of him before, and then also not having seen as many movies as you guys. But I'll, I'll echo some of what Scott said, and then yeah, I think you know when I when I think back on this countdown, I think the word like polish is probably the word that comes to mind. Um, and you know, Scott, like I think you're right. You know, he very much has you know for for like whatever you know internal reasons he has like very much honed in this craft of like, you know, giving you the perfect moment, you know, it, it, uh, I don't know why this is the comparison that comes to mind, but like one director, I feel like I can kind of speak to, uh, in a very different way is like Boz Lerman. And I think of like spectacle and just like grand for the sake of being grand. I think of like a, a few specific movies, but like, you know, not we're, exactly. We're like never doing a Baz Lerman like series. Polished, I'll go ahead and tell you all that right now. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm not interested. Um, but, you know, I think of, like, you know, how much, you know, Fincher's able to, like, give us in, like, you know, like, there's no grandiose in, in like, certain moments, you know, but are still just, like, so much more, like, impactful and memorable. And, like, you know, I, in terms of, like, progression, like, like you, I, I kind of find it hard to, like, pinpoint a specific thread. Um, it does feel like, you know, he is better when he's, you know, just giving us, like, you know, him, like, you know, without, like outside impact or whatnot. But, you know, like I, I look at the the nine films we reviewed and I remember we asked this question in the Nolan series, like, you know, what, like which third do you like best? And like, I guess for me, like it would have to be the middle third of Panic Room, Zodiac and Benjamin Button, which does unfortunately like leave out social network, which to me like is, you know, the, the best, is, is not even close to me. Like that, that's the best in the, in the series. But, you know, like I think Panic Room and Zodiac combined to me, like, do a lot better than Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl. And so, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting for me, like, you know, think about, like, A, I don't really, I can't see, like, a clear progression in terms of, like, how he might have evolved. Although you're right that I think, like, you know, technically speaking, the latter half of his films are, like, you know, much more, again, like, polished. Um, but I don't necessarily see a thread like that. And then again, like, I don't necessarily find all my favorite movies, you know, in his, like, last three right i mean i do again social network i have to absolutely have to shout that out but you know in terms of like groupings of three like that middle one might still edge out the last three i don't know it's tough yeah i mean i guess to, to follow up on something that you're saying as well and something that i kind of started and kind of i think trailed off in the point that i was making was that i mean look like not that what i'm forgetting who wrote seven is it like is it andrew scott wallace or andrew kevin walker andrew kevin walker i mean like i think he's like a relatively well-known screenwriter and stuff but like he's, he's taking like like usually he's taking stories and like having them adapted right like like books or whatever it might be 
and like just look at the people that he's worked with in the more recent years like he's trying to pick writers telling stories like that are you know whether or not they're they have like written movies before right like with jillian flynn or whoever it might be like his last like several movies before mank which is a little bit of a different case because it's kind of a you know it's his father who wrote the script and it's a passion project etc but like he worked with jillian flynn he worked with i mean i guess he didn't technically work with um girl with the dragon tattoo writer whose name is escaping me right now steve larson yeah steve larson because he's he's passed but you know using St a story like written by steve larson who's you know international bestseller jillian flynn international bestseller aaron sorkin for the social network i mean oscar winning screenwriter um and then the curious case of benjamin button which is a story by f scott fitzgerald i mean like he's just like picking you know stories that i think are either from writers or our stories that just resonate more deeply with people or are like well-known etc um and so i think he's setting himself up to have that like higher threshold even with zodiac right like yes he didn't i mean james vanderbilt wrote it but that's like this obsessive like need to get and this is kind of the same for like mine things like mindhunter that he did on netflix like this obsessive need to like tell the whole story to get the whole story and zodiac is a bit of a different case because it is based on true events but i think you see that same desire when he's taking like better script writers or better writers or however you want to frame it and like getting those stories on the screen and i think that that has been like the story for me of like the second half of his filmography you know starting with starting with zodiac yeah i mean i think to some extent you're right scott that things have been pretty consistent like in the types of movies that he makes um from beginning to end i mean you think about seven right as kind of this dark thriller for adults and you look at the last movie and you got Gone Girl, right? Which is a dark thriller for adults. And, you know, there's several other of those movies in there as well. The Game and uh, Fight Club and uh, Room. Girl yeah. with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, like that. that, that is the type of thing that he specializes in. Just, to some extent, his movies are genre. A lot of them are. But he, because of his polish, because of maybe the names he works with, like you're saying, Scott, because of the cast he attracts, maybe, he's he's been able to elevate a lot of those films um to even you know award status I, I guess you know some of those films aren't necessarily the ones that have gotten award recognition but um in terms of like how they are considered um yeah. you know nowadays looking back you know they're they're considered as great pieces of cinema not just as like popcorn movies um a lot of them are so um uh, i think that speaks to his style and that, and that is the one thing i want to say that i i did maybe see a, a noticeable change um is that I think he he got more flashy over time. And I actually think that Fight Club is the movie that sort of flipped the switch. And even though he didn't like Fight Club, I think that stylistically that movie is interesting and definitely marks a difference from, uh, you know, the previous films in Seven and the Game, which I think were probably a little more straightforward um, in how they were filmed. But, um, you know, he tried a lot of new visual techniques, stuff like that with music in Fight Club. And we see that coming up a lot. I mean, you think about the Purdy Gertie Man sequence from Zodiac and the rowing regatta scene from um, Social Network or even the opening credits, right? The James Bond style opening credits in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo set to the Immigrant Song version by uh, Karen O. Like he's having more fun um, and being a little more creative with the way like visually and you know, sonically, he um, renders certain scenes. Like, you know, even in a film like The Social Network, like I said, right? Like, which is pretty straightforward, like Oscar-y biodrama type film. 
you know, he has this one scene in there, right? That regatta scene, which like stands out and it stands out because like, that's all Fincher. Like a lot of the movie feels like a Sorkin movie, but then you see a scene like that and you're like, that's David Fincher's uh, impact on this film right there. So um, that is one thing that I think I've seen him change in his filmography over time. And I think it's, you know, been a good thing to be honest, like, just like I think Nolan starting to be a little more emotional with his films um, was a good thing. I, I think Fincher starting to be a little more fun, flashy, whatever you want to call it with um, his visuals is also a good thing. Um, and, you know, has produced some of his best movies. So, um, let's talk about, uh, what we hope will be one of his best movies for a minute. Uh, and that is Mank, which is coming out next week. Um, as I've said in a minute, we're going to get to some of our favorite scenes, uh, performances and all that of the series. But I do want to spend a minute talking about what are your expectations for Mank? I know Scott, you were a little lukewarm after the trailers that have come out so far for this movie. Jay, I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of the trailers yet, but, um, what is your expectation for what is going to be a different film for Fincher, right? Like I just talked about how a lot of his films can be classified as adult, you know, dark thrillers. This is definitely not that. This is another biographical drama about, you know, the writing of Citizen Kane. Um, and it's in black and white, which is also something that's new for Fincher. Um, Scott, I'll start with you since I know you've seen the trailers and stuff like that. Um, are you excited for Mank? Yeah, you know, I think the more t the more time goes by, the more nervous I get about it. Um, but look, it's here very soon. We'll get to watch it. But overall, look, Black and White, I mean, one of my favorite movies from a couple years ago was Black and White. It was a beautiful film called Roma by Alfonso Cuaron. And it was a passion project. It was something that was really important to him, which is exactly what this movie is, right? This, I know I just mentioned a second ago, this is a script that his father wrote like 10, like decades ago. And finally getting to, and he's wanted to make it forever. And now he's finally getting the chance to make that movie. I mean, that sounds a lot like that kind of project from Alfonso Cuaron. And, and I mean, that was one of the most striking movies I've ever seen in terms of, you know, just vi like visually being in black and white, et cetera. And so if, in that sense, I think it has all of the necessary ingredients. Like it has, you know, good, you know, ostensibly very strong performers in Gary Oldman and Seyfried. Uh, is it Lily Collins? Who else is in the movie? Yeah, Lily yeah, Collins. Lily Collins, who apparently is very good. Yeah, look, it, it has a lot of ingredients. I'm nervous that the film is going to be boring from some of the movies or some of the reviews that I've seen. But again, I think that doesn't matter if you like the movie's putting you to sleep. It's going to look really good when it's putting you to sleep. Uh, that That's what I trust in it. Like, I, I think I may be a little over anxious about this. Again, we'll, we'll see in a week's time whether I feel that way. But again, it, it feels like the, the reason why I'm concerned the more that I think about it, honestly, even the more that I talk about it is because look, he's good. Like we talked about, like he's good at polishing these things that he's not working with an all-star screenwriter or an all-star storyteller. He's working with his dad's script. And the reality is that his dad wasn't a well-known screenwriter. Um, and that's probably for a reason. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he's able to make of that. Cause I think the places where he struggled the most is in, the, is in the department where there's a script that's there and he's trying to put that onto the screen, but the script's just not good or not interesting or whatever it might be in a particular case. Right. And so that I I'm concerned for that reason and concerned about, about things attached to that. But I mean, look, black and white passion project by an, by one of the best filmmakers. I think there's every, there, there's plenty of reasons to be excited at the same time. Jay, do you agree? 
So why is it when Alfonso Cuaron or David Fincher make a black and white passion project, you're all for it, Scott, but when Zack Snyder wants to release a black and white Justice League, you have a problem with it. That's a fair risk. <laughs> yeah, you know, Zack, Zack Snyder's wow, passion gonna... project that he's been working on is... is I, I, I wish we could, in audio form, display like the absolute brain meltdown I had when I read the interview of Zack Snyder <laughs> saying that his ideal version of Justice League is a four-hour-long IMAX black and white film. And the and fact like, that there are people out there who no are like, yes, that. give it to me. No, there are, there are people. No, I know, but it's, it's freaking psycho. Uh, it's absolutely psycho. <laughs> all right, so all right, all right. Next, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to bring it back. Next series, Michael Bay or Zack Snyder? Which one do we do? Michael Bay. I'd prefer it. Michael Bay at least has a good movie. In, uh, Armageddon. The Rock. The Rock but uh, Sorry, Jay, go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. I, I knew what I did. Um, I threw a grenade in and I was like, let's move on. Um, Mank. I mean, yeah, so I to I guess shine some light on where I'm at with it. Um, I have not seen any trailers. I haven't read any reviews and I've read, you know, the two sentence Wikipedia like premise of the movie because I, well, when I told my partner we were doing this tonight, I was like, oh, do you want to watch Mank next week? And she was like, what's it about? And I didn't know. So I went on Wikipedia and I so read- Herman Mankiewicz. <laughs> it's about Mank, it's Mank. It's a no, great I, title, let's be honest. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm going in with like lukewarm to warm impressions. I get or expectations. Um, just because I, you know, again, more often than not, I've been pleased with, pleased with what Fincher has done. Um, again, like you know, he, you know, he he made like you know an exciting procedural, right? Which I feel like is no small feat. And like that to me, you know, I I read what the movie's about, and I'm like, that doesn't necessarily sound like the most thrilling thing. But again, like he has shown that he can make like a gripping, compelling movie about like you know with with obviously like you know zodiac killer itself is like a thrilling concept but like again like the the, the procedural style of the movie not necessarily so much but like it was um this is all to say between that and social network like you know he, at least he's earned like the benefit of the doubt with me like you know i again maybe scott if i'd read some of the reviews that you have i'd be a little bit less high going into it but I, I expect to have like a decent time I mean, the reviews are mostly good to be clear the reviews are good, it, yeah. it's just me reading between the lines about what i'm about some things that i've i feel are going to be in the movie but we'll see fair enough i mean my answer remains unchanged which is you know I, I'm, I'm going with maybe like not quite lukewarm a little bit warmer than that uh expectations you know i, I expect it'll be a good movie um you know even if because I was reading a little bit about this too, right? That, you know, it was his dad's script and he tried to have it produced in like the nineties and like yeah. no one would like, doesn't necessarily mean like it won't be good. Um, yeah, and, I mean, definitely. And, I, and I'm excited about the cast. So, you know, we'll see where we land, but. Is I that just because should... the, like, so the, just like the lukewarm to slightly warm, is that just because of the subject material just doesn't sound particularly interesting compared to a lot of his other movies that, maybe we're more up your alley. I'm just curious what, where that comes from then. If you, yeah, sure. cause you have a lot of positives. So I was just curious. No, I mean like, I, I guess it just like, you know, we're not necessarily trending in the right direction with the last few movies. Um, in that, I mean, if, if we look just solely off of score, right? Like we're, we've gone sure. down the last two and then, I don't know, through the last four, I guess I've again been like in that downward direction, but you know, I, I still think, from his like middle work, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. Um, because I mean, even like, I mean, I'm 
for the record, not at all equating him to Christopher Nolan, but like my middle three Nolan movies are still like my favorite Nolan movies, right? So even though like Nolan, you know, it's like latest three weren't necessarily as high. Like I still, you know, anytime Nolan puts something out, like I'm absolutely going to go watch it. And like, again, Jer- 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 remind of- me, did, did you go watch that movie that he put out oh, this year? Oh, stop it. That was different and you know it. Yeah, I know. Um, but, uh, stop. Um, <laughs> that still hurts. Um, I was trying to think of what's the code phrase they say so that we could like have an inside joke uh, that Jay wouldn't know. What's the code phrase that they say in Tenet? You want to know, Scott? We live in a Twilight world. Yeah, that's right. We live in the Twilight world, yeah. No friends at dusk. Yeah, I don't remember where I left off. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I'm excited. Fincher's done more good than bad. I will watch this movie. Again, Yeah, it it doesn't sound like on the surface necessarily the most interesting, but I'm still here for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm excited for the movie just because, first of all, it's a Fincher movie. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, the subject matter probably interests me the most out of the three of us. Maybe, like, I have either of y'all seen Citizen Kane, for one? I do hear I, that you need to actually know quite a bit about Citizen Kane. I didn't think so. The stuff happened, um, so. Yeah, I mean, I obviously, I don't think it's the greatest film ever made or anything, but it's really good. I mean, it's... it's uh, it's probably, this is a weird comment to make, but Citizen Kane might be slightly underrated because um, people are like, oh, well, it's talked about as the greatest film of all time. It's not really the greatest film of all time. It's a really great movie. Um, it, it's it's up there for sure. Um, and so I'm excited about it for that reason. And, you know, I've heard in the reviews, I mean, the reviews are good, and they talk a lot about how if you love movies, right, if you are a cinephile, then you will love this movie. And, like, I mean, obviously I am. Um, I mean, I think all of us are to some extent, but like, you know, last year, two of my favorite movies were um, were Under the Silver Lake and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think are both sort of in their own ways, love letters to Hollywood. Um, and I, I know some people- Isn't this the, an anti-love letter to Hollywood? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not saying this is gonna be a love letter to Hollywood, but it's probably gonna be a love letter to movies, right? I think that's the yeah, vibe that's I'm true. getting from that's the- true. Um, from the reviews, but, you know, I know there are some people who are like very in the, in the movie communities that I'm in, like that some people are very, um, against like these love letters to Hollywood. Like they're so tired of these types of movies or whatever. I'm not one of them. Again, I, two of my favorite movies last year, I think fall in that category. So, uh, I think this is going to be really great, even though it's, you know, a clear Oscar, uh, target, like, you know, something like Benjamin Button, which was a little less interesting than a lot of other Fincher's films were. I think the trailers make it look a little more offbeat. Um, like maybe Fincher is going to be able to put his own stamp on it, which excites me. Yeah. All right. I mean, I mean, look to your point about it being for cinephiles, there is no way this film isn't made for cinephiles and Netflix is like cornering the con like the market on like movies for cinephiles this year. I mean, like, I'm thinking of anything is like a movie for cinephiles if I've ever seen one, and that's true. I, yeah, I think Mank is exact is gonna is gonna end up being more more accessible than I'm thinking of anything. Less surreal, yeah, yeah, but yeah, less surreal is a better way to put it. Less surreal for sure, but no less for cinephiles. I think I honestly shocked that the lighthouse, like if the lighthouse was made this year, it would have come out on Netflix instead of you know in theaters on May 24. But there you go. Then Yaron Blaschke wouldn't have gotten a uh, cinematography nomination. Well, he maybe he would have anyway, but. Um, Okay, let's talk about some of our favorite or least favorite stuff from the series, if you want to go down that road. Um, Performance-wise, what are some performances that stand out to you guys in a good or bad way? Uh, Jay, we'll start with you. Uh, From any movie that we watched, you know, give me two or three or four performances that you liked or 
one you didn't sure, like. Sure, sure. I mean, I mean, I, I've made it no secret what my favorite movies in the series were, and I think performances mostly line up along that. Namely, you know, the top three from uh, Zodiac, the top two from Social Network, and I guess Jodie Foster from Panic Room, though I guess that does, I don't want to reveal my rankings too much, that does leave one of the top four out um, that's in there between the three. But yeah, I think, I think those are the three that come to mind. Um, just to give a quick negative note, it, and it's not actually in terms of performances, but I definitely want to shout out the last five minutes of the game, um, which, you know, again, the, that second hour already started to lose me, but that last five minutes, man, like I, I kind of forgot about that for a little while. And then in thinking about this countdown, like all that rage just came back. And I was like, Oh my God, that was, that was so much. Um, and which again, not, not necessarily like, you know, it's not, it's not the, the fall of any actor there. Right. It's just, yeah, I don't know that I, I still get like flushed just like talking about it. Cause I thought that ending was so I'm fine with blaming Michael Douglas at this point, since he stands the ending apparently. So okay, you can then. never predict it. You could never predict it. Uh, it's not Scott, necessarily I, a good thing. I know it's not. It's no, it's, it's not. It's quite. It's honestly not a good thing at all. Um, and David and, and David Fincher knows that too, by the way. So, yeah. um, uh, Scott, how about you? Yeah, look, I, I'm gonna. I guess I'll be kind of unoriginal, but maybe I'll talk more about Panic Room because I think that is the under like the underrated gem of Fincher's filmography, like a movie that frankly I'd never heard of coming into the countdown, which. Look, I, I, it's not that unheard of, I, I, I want to be fair, but it's a movie I hadn't heard of, didn't know anything about, and went into it and loved it. Like, it's not, I mean, I'll, I'll slightly spoil my ranking. It's not my favorite movie in the in the filmography, but it's the one that I feel like I really appreciate more than most other people who watch Venture. I don't know, and maybe that's because some of the other Venture's movies don't resonate as much with me, but love Jodie Foster's performance. It's always funny to me to try to imagine like Nicole Kidman playing that role instead of Jodie Foster because it just seems like such a different such a different movie with her in it, even though it would have been more or less the same, you know, with small differences, of course, in the performance. But look, it, it's just fantastic. I love the setup. It's the, the story, I think, is really clever and um, the way that it plays, you know, with that and keeps you interested the whole 100 to 110 minutes or whatever the runtime is. And it never gets stale or boring you know, it's, it's just as good as any action movie in that sense. And from a thriller perspective is great, right? Like e- even some of the movies that I, that I like more than, um, I shouldn't say that necessarily like, but other movies in the, in the film that are really strong, like I think they, they drag at, at, you know, a period or two here and there, you know, even some of his best movies. And I don't think panic room does that at all. So I, you know, I love that central performance and, you know, I mean, Andrew Garfield in the social network, that one, if you want to talk, I know we're talking about scenes in a little bit, but you know, he, he has a moment that's just, one of the best in, in cinema. And, and, you know, to be fair, uh, Jesse Eisenberg has his moments in that movie also. So it's just magic when you put together, you know, someone of the polish, you know, someone of the polish and filmmaking is David Fincher, the writing of Aaron Sorkin, and then also, you know, actors and actresses in the movie as well, to be fair, but, you know, who who are really dedicated to to giving that performance that David Fincher is looking for. Usually has good results. Yeah, we didn't talk a lot about female characters uh, in as much in this series as we did in the Nolan series. Maybe because there's not like as I tried to call it out as much, but right, yeah, that's that's true. But there's not like an established thing as much with Venture that people talk about. Even though you know you could probably well, that's because he hasn't made a movie in six years. But yeah, it's fair to bring it up with some of his movies. But it's not as an established thing. Like Nolan, 
it is known for being one of like the knocks on his film filmography is that he isn't always the best at writing female characters. And yeah, Fincher obviously has some examples too, but to highlight a couple of good examples. And I, I wanted to make the point that I think this maybe is also something that he's got better at over time. Right. Because like the first movies, maybe the female characters were a little bit disposable, but like the last two movies in particular, you think about Rooney Mara in girl with the dragon tattoo and uh, Rosamund Pike in gone girl. I mean, very strong female characters, you know, maybe you have some um, qualms about the portrayal. I know, obviously we went through the whole Gone Girl thing. We won't go through that again, but, and I've heard that Amanda Seyfried and like, this is probably, this is possibly Amanda Seyfried's best performance in Mank. Lily Collins is also really good. Um, apparently, I mean, again, these are just going off of reviews, whatever. But but it's um, not like these people have long lists of like Oscar worthy performances on on their resumes. To be fair, Amanda Seyfried's yeah. a good actress. She's talented. I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff. If you go back through your her filmography, I think no, you'd I, be surprised. Yeah, I, I know, but it's not like we're we're saying like Meryl Streep is in the film and this is her best. Sure, performance yeah, or something like yeah. that. But I mean, Rosamund Pike was kind of unheard of before uh, sure. Gone Girl as well. But I mean, got right in there with an Oscar nomination. But anyway, um, so I, you know, I'll highlight those two performances being good on the female side. On the male side, yeah, I mean, Andrew Garfield, obviously, at Social Network, Mark Ruffalo, and Zodiac might be my top choice. But um, you know, I, I also love going all the way back to the first movie. I think Morgan Freeman's performance in Seven does not get enough credit for how great and understated he is in that movie. I still think about that scene with him and um, and Gwyneth Paltrow when they're in the diner. That's such a great scene, I think. Um, and and yeah, so so those are kind of the ones that that stand out to me for sure. Again, I mean, I talked about in Panic Room how I think all of the actors who play the, um, I think everyone in, in Panic Room is just a, a very well chosen. I think it's a very well cast film um, with just the you know five characters really, but um, I think all of them are are really well chosen. Um, and so I think that's a solid cast movie. But yeah, you can go through the list and pick one or two performances out of each movie. I think he is a good actor's director for sure. But um, favorite scenes, um, moments, obviously, you know, we always highlight a favorite scene or moment at the end of our each movie review. So if you want to, you know, just rehash a couple of those really quickly, you can. But uh, when you think back on the series as a whole, you know, I just talked about the diner scene from Seven, for example. What are like the two or three scenes or moments that stand out to you? Um, and that stick in your brain, Scott. Yeah, for for me, I think there there are scenes here and there. I mean, you have the climax of Seven with the big twist reveal as a very memorable moment. Is it the best? I think it just depends on your uh, your your preferences there, probably. But like the ones for me, the movies that stand out the most, and maybe that's like cheap to say, but like the best scenes from the Social Network. Like, like I mean, I talked on the review of that film about how it was. It's incredible how how like fast that two hours goes by and it never seems to let up and there's just so many good scenes whether it's like you know the not it's not the opening scene obviously but the face mash scene where it has the you know the, the iconic Reznor and Ross music you know thumping in the background like even that just like from a production value there's nothing particularly interesting happening in that scene but it's just such a well-done scene very memorable the scene in the Facebook office in San Francisco toward the end of the field where Andrew Garfield you know goes off on Justin Timberlake and Jesse Eisenberg characters incredible like awesome incredible scene any some of the you know any you can list any of those exchanges that you know jesse eisenberg is having with lawyers with um you know with army hammer's character you know characters i should say i guess the twins and look those are those are some of the most memorable fincher scenes like the uh, the opening scene that open, I, I can't believe i skimmed over the opening scene the opening scene in, in the social network with with jesse eisenberg and Rooney mars 
great, great scene. And, and Zodiac feels the same to me. Maybe not like every single moment being so iconic, but you know, there are these big, you know, that really tense scene with Mark Ruffalo, um, the, you know, the other detective whose actors escaping my mind, Anthony, uh, Anthony Edwards, Andrew Edwards. I was almost there. Anthony Edwards. And, um, you know, and the guy the film ultimately praises as being Zodiac as well uh, in that in that scene, an incredibly tense scene. And then, you know, comes back around towards the end of the film when Jake Gyllenhaal's character has identified like this is the guy, like he's the one who did it. And the scene outside Ruffalo's, you know, house or apartment, you know, whatever it might be there saying, you know, it was him all along. It, these are just great scenes that, that stick out. And, you know, there's quite a few scenes in Panic Room as well that stick out to me. But those are the ones that I find the most memorable. Um, and maybe that just kind of shows my cards of the films that I enjoyed the most. But they really do. They really do pop among everything else, to be honest. Yeah, I should say I, I forgot to mention during the last segment about performances, but um, I can't believe I'm talking about the female performances that I neglected to mention um, Kim Dickens and Carrie Coon in Gone Girl, yeah. um, who I also think are phenomenal. Again, I think Kim Dickens was robbed of an Oscar nomination personally. She's the detective, right? Carrie Coon's sister. Detective, but Detective Boney, yeah, and and uh, Carrie Coon plays Marco. Um, anyway, non sequitur, but it came into my head, and I wanted to mention it. Um, Jay, how about you for scenes or moments? Yeah, I mean, you could take Scott Shelton's monologue and just have me read it, and that would probably be right. I mean, you took almost all of them um, between the social network scenes um, and those again, those few particular scenes in. Uh, Zodiac, I mean, just to try to be different and think a few others. I mean, uh, in Benjamin Button, you know, there's that uh, moment where, oh my God, I can't believe her name is escaping me, but uh, Brad Pitt and the, oh my God, what is her name? Kate Blanchett. Um, Lead actress in that film who he ends up having a thank you, Kate Blanchett. Um, There's that moment before she tells him that. Oh yeah. That's when they're like looking at themselves in the mirror. Um, yeah, so like you know, there was that moment that like jumps to mind, and in Gone Girl, when Ben Affleck stumbles upon the garage full of stuff that was bought with his credit card, um, and he realize and you realize like oh like he's so screwed, you know like again there, these are just I guess like some of the moments uh, in addition to the ones that Scott mentioned that you know kind of come back to me, and I'm like oh yeah like that was that was there was a lot of like whoa, um, and that and even I guess just to give one more to Gone Girl, um, that. Uh, first scene between Affleck and his sister uh, at the bar when they're playing life and just, you know, chatting it up. Like, again, like something simple, but just like, you know, memorable. Yeah. I mean, Zodiac has so many for me, like the, you know, the basement scene, opening kill scene. Um, I love when, you know, when uh, Jake Gyllenhaal goes to the prison and talks to Clea Duvall as the sister of the first victim and, you know, she drops the bomb or whatever that uh, it was that his name was Lee, like that moment where she says like, and his name was Lee. It's just like, and then, I mean, honestly, every scene, the couple of scenes that involve Lee that involve John Carroll Lynch as Lee are also really good. I mean, that scene where they go to the prison or the, his place of work and question him. And then, you know, at the end when they lock eyes inside the, whatever it is, hardware store or something um, at the end of the movie. Um, you know, great, great stuff. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that scene from Benjamin Button because I don't know that I would have thought of that one, but that actually is a really good one, Jay, uh, when they're there in the dance studio looking in the mirror. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, again, you could go through the, li- the list of movies. I mean, Seven for me, like I, I really like the diner scene, as I've mentioned, maybe more so than the uh, 
then that final what's in the box scene that is, you know, the more iconic one. Um, you know, Panic Room has some really good stuff like getting the in uh insulin that uh Kristen Stewart needs. That's a really tense sequence. Um and then yeah, Social Network is the other movie that has it's just like, you know, take your pick. Like the there's the opening scene, there's um the Justin Timberlake and Dakota Johnson scene, which I have a soft spot for. There's yeah, the final meltdown inside the uh the Facebook offices with Andrew Garfield and the 0.03% and all that. Um, it's great. I mean, so many, so many memorable scenes from all of these movies. And um, I remember a lot of them fondly, but all right, guys, I think the time has come. Uh, let us do our final rankings from one to nine. Well, let's start at the bottom, obviously start with number nine, work your way up um, your nine through one for the, almost complete filmography of uh, one David Fincher. Jay, we'll start with you. All righty, at number nine, The Game. At number eight, Benjamin Button. Number seven, Fight Club. Number six is Gone Girl. Number five is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Number four, Panic Room. Number three, Seven. Number two, Zodiac. And of course, at number one, The Social Network. I think there's definitely some room for jostling between Panic Room and Seven, um, but that that's that's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right, uh, Scott, how does yours compare? It's not that different, to be fair. There there is some jostling, as Jay would say, but uh, mine is uh, nine is Fight Club for me, so all the way at the bottom. Then the game at eight. Benjamin Button at seven. I just have a lot of respect for that movie so it's from a filmmaking department and does manage to milk, you know, some emotional moments out of it, even though it, I don't know if it totally deserves it, but it, it gets, it, it gets me in several places. Uh, then Gone Girl, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo after that at five, seven at four, Panic Room at three. I, you know, I, I was sitting here watching, looking at this list and I, and I really wanted to be like, can I put Panic Room higher? Can I put it higher? And you just can't. You just can't with those top two. Yeah. Uh, which is Zodiac, number two, and then The Social Network, number one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to deviate too much either. I have Fight Club also in the ninth slot. Jay, Jay, what did you have in the ninth slot? Did you have Girl with the, the Game? game oh, The Game. Okay, yeah. Girl with um, Game five. Get out of here. You didn't even like that movie, though. <laughs> um, yeah, but, like... Well, I okay. I found the one really disturbing scene in it, like just kind of overshadowing yeah, yeah, the okay. rest. But like, you want to talk about memorable scenes? Like I, that was on my mind for like two weeks. Like I was. And the and the ice pick kill wasn't on your mind in Gone Girl for a couple weeks. Honestly, yeah. honest to God, I don't. I don't think I said this when we recorded it. When that started, I looked away. Like I just let it play out, and I kind of like watched it. Like I saw like you know the the cuts to black in between. Like, I kind of saw did what you, was did happening. Did you watch in the ceiling mirror uh, in your room? <laughs> What ceiling mirror? What? what? Uh, it's a joke. Don't worry. Okay, but no, I, I I should have like once I once that icicle kill started to happen, I like stopped watching it. Like I just looked away. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this for like a second straight movie. Yeah, that was another scene I should have mentioned. Like when talking about Fincher, how his style has gotten more flashy, right? Like the kill of Neil Patrick Harris in Gone Girl, like when she just you know the copious blood, the like you know weird color changes and stuff as it's cutting. Um, is really interesting, but yeah, a hard scene to watch. Is it um, interesting? Is it interesting, Scott? Yeah, yeah. Hater over here. Um, I don't like it either, but all right. Back sorry. to my list. Your list, yes, please. 
Fight Club at number nine. Uh, the Game at number eight. Number seven, I have The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Panic Room is my number six. At number five, I have The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. At number four, Gone Girl. Number three, seven. Number two, yeah, I mean, we have the same top two, but of course mine uh, is switched. I have Social Network at number two and Zodiac at number one. So I think we're all in agreement. I mean, we were all in agreement at the time that Dark Knight was number one for Nolan series. Now I have got since gone back on that, but um, I, uh, I mean, it's still number two. So I think uh, from these series, we've been close to agreement with what sort of the best movies are. I mean, even going back to Star Wars, I think um, maybe our Star Wars list were probably a little bit different, but because I mean, I had seven, number one, you had eight, Scott, Jay, what did you have at number one? Empire Strikes Back. Or I something. think it was Empire. Yeah. Um, so we all had different number one, but, um, but yeah. Um, well, we all the answer right in that Rise of Skywalker was the worst. Uh, no, it's not worse than Attack of the Clones. It's not. Um, it is, in fact. Go back and uh, check it out. It is. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, but it's not. But that's not a conversation for this <laughs> podcast. Uh, that concludes uh, this episode of the Fincher Countdown, and uh, that concludes the retrospective part of the Fincher Countdown, of course. Next time we will be finishing things off for good with the uh, with Mank uh, coming next week on Netflix. So stay tuned for that episode. All three of us will be here. Jay will actually be able to watch the movie um, because it is on Netflix. Um, we won't run into a tenant issue, which is which is a good thing. What's um, Netflix? And uh, we want to invite you to join us for our next countdown series coming next year. Um, we have decided, and we'll announce it here now, that we're going to be doing. Uh, a James Bond series. Uh, with that being said, we obviously are not going to be going to be watching all J all of the James Bond films, as I believe there are 23, 24 now that we're up to. Um, 25 is no time to die, so there are 24. Yeah, so, but uh, with myself as sort of the curator for this series, yeah. since I have seen a lot of the, almost all of the James Bond films, um, I will be selecting... Um, you know, one or two movies, maybe from each era of Bond. And when I say each era of Bond, I mean um, each actor who has played Bond. Um, and then we will be doing, of course, all of the Daniel Craig films in the lead up to uh, No Time to Die, uh, which is coming out in April. Is that right? Is that when it's slated for right now? Yeah. I mean, look, it'll probably yeah, be that's when it's slated again. For. But yeah, <laughs> it's when it's slated for. Um, yeah. But. It will probably come out to around, you know, the same length of this series that we've been doing about nine or 10 movies. Um, yeah, it might be a little actually, bit longer. We were trying to map, map it out. I think when we were first talking about it, it might be yeah. a little bit longer, but not substantially. So when I actually sit down and make the, the list or whatever, but um, anyway, uh, that will be uh, our next countdown series coming early next year. So uh, get excited for that. And uh, yeah, don't forget to support our podcasts. Uh, don't forget to support some like it. Scott, uh, patreon.com slash media plug pods is our Patreon. Uh, check out all of our podcasts on your select podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. We're on all of them. Um, and, of course, uh, join us for that next countdown series, James Bond, uh, coming, like I said, in early 2021. But until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Watch Zodiac, everybody. Zodiac.